0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz. And today, we continue our 32 for 32 series with a look at the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, what wasn't the best 2020 season by any stretch, but we saw more promise than perhaps we've seen in a long time. I'm not giving any cuts to Philip Rivers. We all love that, man. But just in terms of going in 2020, Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, a lot of unknowns. Now we do know that they have truly anyone's idea of a great young quarterback to build around. As far as the season itself, you know, only had three wins as we, as they got into week 13, got blown out by the Patriots, but then end the season on a nice little four game hot streak. So hopefully German James, Joey Bosa and company can get healthy and we can finally see what's always been one of the league's more complete rosters actually start to take some steps towards contendership. So I have a very special guest on to help me break down the Chargers main offseason strategy. He is Chargers beat writer at The Athletic. Daniel Popper, you can follow on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. Daniel, thanks for the time, man. Happy offseason. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And we are recording this on February 5th. So still have the Super Bowl to come and perhaps uh, there, you know, what could be a big trade or something coming through the pipeline still, but with head coach Brandon Staley already hired, I think we're looking at, uh, you know, a good starting spot for the Chargers in off season. So per usual, we'll be going through three team needs, quick up feel around to get some workload related notes from Daniel, and then a bold off season prediction before we send him on his way. So Daniel, can we start things off with the three team needs for the 2021 Chargers?
1: All right. So it starts with the offensive line. That has to be the priority. And I know you mentioned in the lead in that, you know, it's one of the most complete rosters in football year after year. That's true for every position, except for the offensive <laughs> line. And that to me is why this team has not been able to get over the hump. It's the reason why they've had among other things, back-to-back losing seasons, obviously injuries were a factor in that, but they just haven't had the talent there and they have not had the depth there to pass protect well enough or to run the ball well enough. They finished 31st in rushing DVOA last year. They could not block. Um, And a lot of their pass protection issues were alleviated and masked by Justin Herbert's athleticism. His ability to get outside the pocket, make plays off platform, escape rushers. He has, you know, the one thing he showed is the tremendous feel in the pocket for pressure. And he was able to take a lot of the the load off of the offensive line because of that ability. But they need more talent up front. And and general manager Tom Telesco admitted this in his postseason press conference. We need more talent. Um, so that's the priority. That's where the offseason starts in terms of building this roster. Um, it's going to be through the draft. It's going to be through free agency. Um, they could genuinely use talent at all five positions up front. Three of their five starting offensive linemen are hitting free agency. So they got to make decisions on those guys. Trey Turner could be a potential cap casualty. They're starting right guard last year. They could save $11.5 million in cap space with zero dead money if they cut him. Um, the only guy that's definitely going to be back is Brian Bulaga, and he missed most of last season with an injury. Um, and he's over thirty, and they need a replacement for him down the road. So, so that's the priority. And then moving down the list, second would be edge rusher. Now they're switching from a four-three to a three-four, um, and so there is going to be some holes that they need to fill where the personnel doesn't exactly align. Um, Joey Bosa, obviously their top edge rusher, he's more of a four-three defensive end, um, kind of too big to play outside linebacker. I mean, he's playing at about two eighty-five last year. Maybe he could lose some weight. I know Jason Pierre Paul is playing outside linebacker at three, four at like two seventy-five. Maybe he can lose some weight and play out there, but you lose some of his, his technique is, you know, as a technician, his, his ability to use his hands. That's how he's so successful as a pass rusher. So they're going to need an edge rusher to, to, to put an outside linebacker. And there are some guys that fit the mold in this draft um, that they could potentially take in the first round. If they don't take an offensive tackle or they could end up, you know, drafting later. But I think that's a position they can address in the draft. And then third would be cornerback. Um, they have one free agent, Michael Davis, and I think they're going to end up re-signing him, but he's a, an ascending young player. And then opposite him on the outside is Casey Hayward. He's coming off a down year. Um, and they could also save a bunch of cap space if they cut him close to $10 million. You know, as we know, and everyone knows that, that watches football and pays attention, the decline <laughs> for cornerbacks is quick. Yeah. I mean, it isn't, it's not a hill. It's a free <laughs> clip, you know, and I go back I mean, I used to, co- I covered the Jets in 2015 when Darrell Revis signed that huge contract after he won the super bowl with the Patriots and his decline was rapid. I mean, he went from hall of fame level player to out of the league type player pretty quickly. And so they have to make a decision with Casey, you know, was it injuries last year? I think he was nicked up or was it a significant decline in play? Um, but they either need to replace him if they cut him or they need a replacement for down the road next year. Uh, after he becomes a free agent. And then obviously Chris Harris is their slot corner, still a, a good player, but had his, the first significant injury uh, he, he's had since he tore his ACL and missed a lot of time last year. How does he come back from this significant, significant foot injury? They don't really have a, a slot corner replacement on their roster because they traded Desmond King. Um, so that's, that's another position. So it'd be those three positions. Um, and that's what they have to address in the draft. That's what they have to do in free agency. And it's, it's tackle and interior offensive line and then edge rusher and cornerback.
0: Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code PFF for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds on any basketball team to hit a three-point shot only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Virginia, call 888-532-3500. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversations in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of Insight this season. And now back to the podcast. Great stuff there. Again, O-line edge rusher and cornerback. And yeah, it's staying on the cornerback for a second. Like, if they bring back... Davis, Hayward and Harris, that's a perfectly fine starting trio. But now with Hayward and Harris sitting at 31 years old, you got to look at the future a little bit. So, you know, we always kind of have the battle coverage versus pass rush, you know, obviously having Joey Bosa on the defensive line, and you can help build around him and all that. But it does seem like, you know, even if they don't need to necessarily devote huge resources to cornerback right now, it's certainly a spot time to get younger at the position.
1: Absolutely. Get younger and get somebody in there that, that you can develop. Um, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, not necessarily, meaning they have to draft one of these guys early in the first, you know, Patrick Sertan or Caleb Fairley or one of those guys. Um, they could address it later in the draft, but they definitely need to get younger and get some depth there and get some guys that they could potentially develop. You know, if they keep those three guys together, that's fine. But if someone goes down with an injury, they can't be turning to, to Von Campbell, which they did last year, a former CFL player. He lost them a couple games because he, he obviously had a pick six in that one game. But like, um, you know, he, he, he made some mistakes and he struggled um, and, and they need more talent behind those three guys. Absolutely.
0: So I'm really excited to see what Brandon Staley does with this defense. Cause the things he was able to do with the Rams, I mean, one, one thing in particular, like he just, he used Jalen Ramsey all over the field. He wouldn't, it's so frustrating sometimes when we see, you know, teams just continuously put linebackers on number one wide receivers in the slot or, you know, Hey, maybe Ramsey is, can shut down the left side, but I don't know if you're playing a team that isn't moving the ball over there. Why, why are you wasting your, one of your best players. So for him not to do that was great to see, do you see him? You know, I know they're different players, different talents, but more or less, Joey Bosa and Derwin James are the new look, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Again, different talents, but you would think, you know, with someone with a mind like Staley should be able to put these guys, even if they are switching from a four, three or three, four, both Bosa and Derwin should be in a position to succeed. Fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood that they will be healthy enough to be out there.
1: Yeah. so They'll be doing different things because they're different players, as you mentioned, but philosophically, it's the same approach. Yeah. It's a player centric approach. It's going to your best players with the most talent and being like, what do you do well? And what, where are you most comfortable? and then building your system and schemes around that. Um, so on defense, it starts with those two guys. It's what does Joey Bosa do well? And what does Derwin James do well? Where do they want to be on the field? Where do they feel like they could be most successful? And then putting them in those spots, play after play after play, and building everything else off of those two guys. Now, the, the encouraging part about this defense is they have talent at all three levels, right? They got Joey up front. In the middle, they got Kenneth Murray. I know he wasn't as good as people might have expected being a first-round pick, but I saw genuine growth from him. Over those last four games, I think that was a big reason they won a lot of those games. Is you saw him start to pick up on play action keys a lot more quickly. He wasn't jumping at at those fake handoffs. He was dropping into coverage. He had a bunch of plays where he was covering those sort of over routes from the slot that off RPOs that he was getting killed on earlier in the season. So you saw it coming together mentally. He has all the physical traits. I mean, he is a violent hitter. He's fast sideline to sideline. He's got great makeup. I mean, he has all of these attributes that you're looking for in a middle linebacker. For him, it's just about experiencing enough in the NFL from a coverage perspective to get to that level and be able to play instinctually because he really wasn't a coverage guy at Oklahoma. It changed a lot. They tried to sort of mold him into one of those guys last year. So it takes some time, especially without having an offseason, to sort of learn what defenses are trying to do to you. And he started to pick up on that stuff. So they have that a legitimately good linebacker there who I think is going to take a big step in the second second season. And obviously, Derwin on the back end. I mean, when he's healthy, he's – arguably the best, second best defensive player in football. You know, obviously Aaron Donald is number one, but Derwin is a, an excellent, excellent football player. And they have missed him dearly the past two seasons, but you're absolutely dead on. I mean, it's going to be creating these systems around what their players do well. He's, that's what he's bringing from the Rams. And that's part of the reason why he got this
0: job. It's, it's great to hear because, you know, Brandon Staley knows far more about, you know, scheme and his little finger than I will know about football my entire life. But, you know, Jim's and Joe's over X's nose, put your best players in a position to succeed. It's great to see a coach that, you know, can put his ego aside and just do what's best for the team, because I'm sure it is hard when you have a system you've been running effectively to, you know, bend that around the players. But it does seem like he is on pace to doing that. So great to see there uh, quickly. And yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see how he uses Durman James. I knew yeah. I knew Durbin was great, but seeing those like hard knocks clips of him, like legit matching Keenan Allen step for step. Like hope, maybe we'll even see Durham playing a little more cornerback than usual. People in the league think he could
1: be a corner. Like he could be a legitimate starting corner in the NFL at his size, which is just shocking. Like he's six two, two twenty. 20. Like the fact that he could, he could play corner. And like in those one-on-one situations, like there are very few corners in the league that can keep up with Keenan Allen, like very few, if any. And Derwin locks him up in those one-on-one situations. It's really been a shame that he hasn't been able to be on the field, um, but it, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what Brandon Staley can do with this group um, and what he can bring out of them and how he can put them in a position to succeed. Absolutely
0: percent. All right, switching back over to the offensive line before we get to our gut feel round. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man, because sometimes you look at the offensive line and especially pressure is a stat that is sometimes seen as more. Uh, I think it should be seen as more of a QB stat than offensive line. Uh, in most cases, this is not one of them. Fourth highest pressure rate in the league, even though Herbert actually had an above average time of release from uh, getting the snap to getting the ball out. Uh, this was a top 12 offense and screen rate. Like he was getting the ball out of his hands pretty quick, still under pressure. And then he threw in the reality that they were dead last in yards before contact. I mean, per rush. I mean, I wouldn't have blamed you for coming on here with three team needs and saying center guard and tackle, because, you know, as much as we can talk <laughs> about the defense defense, if they can just get healthy, will be fine. I mean, if we want to just talk about, you know, what it's going to take to take uh Herbert, you know, to the next step in his development, it's gotta be just putting as many resources as possible into that offensive line.
1: Yeah. I mean, any quarterback needs pass protection and a decent running game to be successful. Um, You know, you don't want it to be a situation where you are totally relying on Justin Herbert to, to go out and move the ball down the field and make these incredible plays off platform and, and scramble and do all of these things. Like that's not a sustainable way to win, especially with a young quarterback. Like you got to give him a decent running game. And they were far from that last year. Um, so that's, that has to be the priority. And then, I mean, you look at what happened in Cincinnati, like Justin Herbert's a big dude, right? He's 6'6, 240. Like he can take some shots. He's he ran over linebackers this past year. Like he's built well. So he's not necessarily going to uh, you know, wither if he takes a lot of shots, but the more your quarterback gets hit, the higher percentage chance that he's going to get hurt. That's just the reality. That is the logical correlation. And you saw what happened with Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, he did not have an offensive line and eventually you get one awkward hit in the wrong part of your leg. And now you have a torn ACL, and no one knows, you know, how you're going to come back from that. So you got to protect him. I mean, in the Patriots game, you mentioned that at the top the 45 to nothing blowout. They weren't even blitzing. They were bringing four guys, and just they could not handle these stunts and games. I mean, it was it was these twists, and and they could not communicate well enough to pick them up. And Justin was getting crushed. I mean, all the way until the end of the game, they kept him in late in the fourth quarter. He took a shot to the spleen, like. They are lucky that he didn't get hurt in that game, but it's a, has to be a priority to protect him. Despite the fact that he's fantastic at eluding <laughs> pressure, like he has to get better protection up front or you are risking Injury to your franchise cornerstone.
0: I was about to say. I mean, he literally was the only quarterback with a higher PFF passing grade than Patrick Mahomes under pressure. Like the guy, yeah. you could not have asked for him to respond to these situations better. That is one of those stats, pressure, where we see it be real volatile from year to year, though, because no quarterback is better when they're getting guys in their face and they're under duress. You know, credit to Herbert for being able to deal with that. I know coming out of Oregon, his ability to you know work off platform. You know, when the play breaks down, that was kind of calling the question. Obviously, you know, we've seen after even one year that he's more capable of doing that great stuff there i want to keep talking about herbert though in this gut feel round because now look he's had three head co- he had three head coaches and two offensive coordinators in of oregon now he's already on his second set of each in the nfl we talked about you know just getting him a better offensive line sure but what sort of changes do you kind of expect from new offensive coordinator joe lombardi uh, specifically in regards to herbert's development because obviously that's priority number one two and three for this offense
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting how they've sort of compiled the staff. Lombardi obviously worked under Sean Payton for 15 seasons with Drew Brees for 15 seasons. So you're going to get some saints, Sean Payton influence in the offense, but I also think you're going to get a lot of this Shanahan inspired conceptual stuff in the offense as well, which the Chargers were running last year. I mean, Anthony Lynn played for Mike Shanahan. So that was his, that was his vision for this, for this offense, you know, get some quarterback movement, bootleg, wide zone, play action, all that kind of stuff that, that is characteristic of those Shanahan offenses, but they brought in Shane day, who was the quarterback's coach with the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, They brought in an offensive quality control coach for the Packers. Who's going to be their tight ends coach who worked under Matt LaFleur, another Shanahan disciple Staley worked very closely with Sean McVay, another Shanahan disciple. (laughs) And these are all very successful offenses, right? That come from the same tree. Obviously they have their own variations on it, but they're sort of picking these coaches from different, places. And so I think you're going to, some of the Shanahan stuff is going to carry over some of the bootleg stuff, some of the wide zone stuff. Like they're going to have that in the offense because Justin flourished with that kind of stuff. Then I also think you're going to have Lombardi coming in, adding some of the saints stuff in there uh, that he, that they were running with Sean Payton. And I think it's going to be sort of a a mishmash of all that kind of stuff and trying to build this offense with all these different pieces and ideas from all the best offenses in football. So the way that Staley has constructed the staff makes a lot of sense. But the one thing with Justin is he is most successful in a heavy play action offense. And you've seen it like that is what brings the most out of quarterbacks with those kind of skill sets. I mean you look what happened with Josh Allen in Buffalo. I mean he was top three in the league in, in play action rate. Um and and that was what Brian dabble did. He was like well, that's how we're going to make him more accurate. Let's do the RPO stuff. Let's do the play action stuff. Let's let's get some structure in the offense and make sure that he's throwing to wide open receivers. And and it worked. Um, and so you know Ryan Tannehill number one in the league in play action rate, right? That's a guy that everyone thought was, de- was dead in the water. His career was over. Uh, he comes to um, Tennessee, and he gets revitalized under Arthur Smith in a heavy play action scheme. Like, that's what, that's what Justin does well. Those are two quarterbacks with, that are athletic, mobile, can move outside the pocket. And so I think that stuff is going to stay. Um, but you're going to get a little bit of, of, of twist, and then obviously some Sean some Payton influence because Lombardi spent so much time there.
0: happy you brought up Josh Allen because I actually think him and Herbert, they're not – they're very different players, but both of them have a freaking bazooka for an arm. They're both athletic enough to get outside the pocket. And because of yeah. that, they can basically force defenses to defend every square inch of the field for better right. and for worse, as we really saw with Josh Allen early in his career, you know, much more erratic than uh, even Herbert as a rookie. But yeah, just being able to rein that in a little bit, make things easier, have some of those Saints principles in, that'd be fantastic to see for Herbert and that entire offense. Want to talk quickly about this run game. Austin Eckler signed through 2023. I mean, in fantasy land, this guy in, you you know, leagues that reward an entire point per reception. Does that really reflect, you know, NFL ability? No, but that's the game we play. And because of that, Austin Eckler has been a cheat code. We did see the likes of Joshua Kelly, Justin Jackson, Kalen Balage, even Troy Mayne Pope, you know, get plenty involved throughout the season. Do you expect the Chargers to continue to use, you know, kind of this quasi uh, multi-back committee where Eckler's the lead pass down guy, but you know, he's pretty much splitting carries. Or do you think we could actually see a step forward and Eckler be more of a true three down back?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think anyone in the league besides the Titans are going to have a true lead back at this point. And and the Vikings with Dalvin Cook, probably. Um, And you could maybe throw the Cowboys in there with Zeke. But, like, very few teams actually do that. You can count the total
0: offenses on one hand, for sure.
1: Right, pretty much. So, you know, philosophically, from the top of their football organization, they believe in multiple running backs sharing the load. Um, And they don't necessarily differentiate between – Uh, a carry and a reception for them. It's just touches. So that's why Austin Eckler, you know, he's not a typical running back, right? He's almost always going to have more receiving yards than rushing yards, but for him, it's like, just get the ball in my hands where I can make plays. I don't care if it's a carry at a shotgun under center. I don't care if it's a screen. I don't care if it's a swing pass. I don't care if I'm in the slot running slants. I don't care if I'm out wide running go routes, like whatever it is, just put me in space. Right. So they're always going to, um, you know, have a, have a committee type backfield. Um, Now with that being said, you know, I haven't talked to Brandon Staley specifically about his views about this. I know Anthony was sort of aligned. Anthony Lynn was aligned with that organizational philosophy. Brandon could think differently, but you know, you think about what the saints did with their running backs. I mean, Alvin Kamara puts up a ton of numbers, right. But is he like your true Feature back? No, they do a lot of two-back stuff. Latavius Murray obviously was there, and and so they 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 share the load. They split Alvin Kamara outside, and so that's sort of the role that I think Austin Eckler had. Joe Lombardi compared Eckler to Kamara in his oh, nice. press conference, so that's sort of the vision that they have for him. Um, but behind Eckler, it's sort of like what do, what what do they have? Right? You named a bunch of these guys, but you know Joshua Kelly, I think, is an immensely immensely talented player. We, I mean, he might have been the best player in training camp, hmm. and I'm not. That's not hyperbolic. Like he yeah. was fantastic he was you know n- not just between the tackles like bouncing runs to the outside beating these elite defensive players to the corner like making plays and his rookie season got derailed because he fumbled in that bucks game in week three mm-hmm. chargers had that huge first half lead and then he fumbled at the goal line at the end of the half and they turned it over to the bucks at his own goal line and mm-hmm. uh, turned it over to the bucks they were able to score a touchdown and that- his season flipped the next week he fumbled again and he just lost confidence and he didn't, he wasn't hitting the hole the same way. And, and you just saw a lack of confidence in the way he was running the football and a, a guy who is going to make his, his bread and butter in the league by running between the tackles and being that physical change of change of pace. Like you can't lose your confidence. You got to hit the hole, man. Like you got to get North and South and pick up yards. And he sort of lost that role to Kalen Ballage, um, who was that, you know, Anthony Lynn said to him, listen, your job is to run forward, like get, get North as fast as you can. Don't dance around. And, and, you know, he did a fine job with it. Like he was a good short, he's pretty good in short yardage. He had a good conversion rate. um, And he did some okay things. Um, But so, you know, what is Joshua Kelly? That's really my, that's really the biggest question in this backfield. You know, can he bounce back from, from that, those fumbling issues early in the year, can he regain his confidence and can he show off the talent that we all saw in training camp? You know, I think he's going to have a breakout year. I just, I think he has the makeup to, to come back from a season like that. And I know he has the skill set to be a successful NFL running back. Um, The question is, will he get his opportunities? You know, Justin Jackson is another name we threw out there, like love his game. He's such a unique runner. So smooth great vision you know obviously not the the most athletically gifted running back um but it, very very smart very savvy great at reading holes and and setting up blocks and all of those kinds of things also great catching the ball at the backfield just hasn't been able to stay healthy yeah you know it's every year there's something last year it was a calf this year it was a knee um and it's stuff it's like he gets so unlucky like this year the knee injury he like he was in pass protection. Justin got rid of the ball. The play was over and like a 300 pound lineman like fell over oh. and fell right into his knee. You know, it's like, he's not even, he doesn't even have the ball in his hand, <laughs> like getting hurt. So I, I feel for him because when he's on the field and close to healthy, he's a difference maker. Yeah. Um, so they kind of have these pieces, you know, Kalen Balage was a big Anthony Lynn guy. Um, so I'm curious to see sort of what his future is like, that was his biggest proponent was definitely Anthony, who was a former running back um, and sort of likes these projects that he can bring in and groom. He's really good at it. Like that's one of the reasons he's a great coach is because he's very good at developing running backs. Um, But you know, Eckler is going to have a huge role, you know, and I'm, I got a bold take on him. That's my bold take. We'll, we'll save that for later (laughs) tease it, but he's going to have a huge role. And behind him, I mean, the number two spot is up for grabs and there's going to be you know, all those guys, contending for it. Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, Campbell Lodge. And I wouldn't be surprised if they have another guy in the mix, whether it's a, you know, late round draft pick or, um, you know, un- undrafted free agent, you know, because again, Joshua Kelly was a previous regime guy. That's an Anthony Lynn, you know, pick. And obviously Tom Telesco is the guy running the show, but yeah. Anthony loved that guy like that. He was really excited about that pick. So it's curious to see how the, um, the new staff sort of views this running back group, but obviously Eckler will be at the top and will be in his multifaceted role per usual.
0: So there's a, you know, unknown behind Eckler for sure, particularly with the coaching change. But it sounds like you know, if you were in the you know back last you know few rounds of fantasy draft and you had to bet on one of these other guys, Kelly would be your guy. Right now, yeah, but I'll have a better
1: idea once we see once of course. we see training camp, right? Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. I'll I- save my take for then.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. And we are recording this on February 5th. So I know I'm pressing Daniel here a little bit, but we're always trying to find out where those edges might be. Cause, you know, we're us two DJs. we're doing these best ball drafts uh, throughout the winter and spring before things can even get settled. Always big when we can potentially find, you know, a 10, 15 touch contributor down at the bottom. Hopefully Kelly can get his mind right, get back to balling. All right. I want quickly touch on the, these uh, receivers' rooms. And one thing we didn't talk about, man, is the tight end position. Hunter Henry is an unrestricted free agent. As someone that, watched every single xfl game wrote far too many words about it than any human should be doing you know donald parham did not come out of nowhere for me but i know for a lot of other people he might have what do you think hunter henry will be back give with yourself, the Chargers? give yourself a pat in the back right <laughs> Good. i know you want it yeah <laughs> <laughs> amazing all right do you think hunter henry will be back with this team next year and if not how confident are you in donald parham being the every down tight end
1: Oh, I'm not confident in Donald Parham being oh. the everyday tight end. I know he's your guy. Like he's, he's, he's a really, he's a really fun developmental piece. Um, You know, he had to make some big plays last year. He had that touchdown against the Broncos where he had that little sidestep yeah. juke move. That was, that was nice. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a really interesting piece. I mean, he's six, eight, he's a guy that can have an impact in the red zone if he keeps developing, but he's just not a good enough blocker to be in every, every day, every, every down tight end. Is, and he would admit that to you. Like he's improved substantially as a blocker. Mm-hmm but he's just not at the level you need to be to be a number one tight end in the league. Like they, so they have to re-sign Hunter. Yeah. I don't see I don't see any other way around it. Like unless they, so the only thing I could think of is if they let, if they feel like they don't want to pay Hunter, which I, I don't think they will because he does, he's very deserving of the contract that he's going to get, but say his market gets pushed big time and it's $12 million a year, $13 million a year. Say Bill Belichick really wants him and it's, he's going after him. and getting to pay him whatever that, he wants. Right. Yeah, that,
0: that, that's the guy I was sick. And they, they, they had some long hugs after a couple of those games over the past few years.
1: Oh yeah. And, and Bill <laughs> Belichick knows his, his high school coach from Arkansas. Like, but here's the thing. If Bill Belichick is targeting one of your unrestricted free agents, what does that tell you? That guy's a good player. Yeah. Like you need to keep that guy, you know, look at what happened to Stefan Gilmore. You let him walk and <laughs> freaking one defensive player of the year. So like when those guys are targeting a player, it means that he does a lot of things very, very well. And Hunter is, I think Hunter is a top five all around tight end in the league. And I know that's going to surprise some people, but he is an excellent run blocker, excellent, excellent, excellent run blocker. And so what he does in the passing game complements it really well, but he's a guy like you can play a lot of 11 personnel, you know, and have one tight end out there and still be able to run the football effectively because Hunter is so dynamic as a run blocker and physical. And so I think they have to resign him if they don't, and this is a scenario I was getting at earlier. If they don't resign him, and Kyle Pitts is sitting there at 13. Ooh, right. Okay. And I know. I, and so I only, I wasn't even thinking about this, but Danny Kelly uh, of the ringer, he uh, did his mock drafts, uh, like about a week mm-hmm. ago and he had the chargers taking Kyle Pitts, And I was like, okay. Yeah. Now personally, I wouldn't go down that road. Cause I just think the world of Hunter Henry, I think he's mm-hmm. a fantastic player. He's a guy I'd want on my team every day of the week. And so I think that you gotta go out and you gotta pay him what he's worth. You know, whether that's eleven million dollars a year, twelve million dollars a year, it's gonna be somewhere in that range. I think you got to get him signed long term. And that's how the Chargers operate typically, right? They draft, develop, sign to extensions. That's like how they wanna build their team. And so for a guy like Hunter Henry came in, had some injury problems, obviously tore his ACL, then had the broken kneecap. But when he's been helped and he but he puts it they franchise tagged him and he put together a complete season. And he was a really, really, really good player. And he has a great connection with Justin Herbert and that's a guy I would want to keep around. So I would expect them to re-sign him. But, uh, you know, Parham is going to be the, that, that number two guy, you know, if they don't draft another tight end, like he, Virgil green's going to end up walking. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's going to get signed anywhere else, but he's, he's over the hill at this point. And so, you know, they like Parham as a developmental piece and he could really fit in as that number two guy, right? Like that, that, you oh, know, yeah. receiver type tight end that doesn't really need, maybe need to take on as much blocking responsibility. Cause you have, you know, Hunter Henry on the roster.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you talk about true every down tight end like Hunter Henry. I mean, we're looking 97, 99, 92. This guy literally never left the field. So he does make sense as someone that you do want to pay up for if possible. Yeah. And yeah, if Bill Belichick loves the guy, we should all probably love the guy. Not, yeah, not that hard that's to That's what I'm that saying, man. <laughs> 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 and yeah, and credit to Henry for getting healthier, man. Him and, you know, Keenan Allen to an even heavier extent were guys with that, you know, injury prone label that, you know, Keenan's really just erased it over the years. And Henry seems to certainly be on his way as well. Last thing before we get you bold offseason prediction, Mike Williams, in my mind, he's one of the most overqualified number two wide receivers in the league. They could save about 15 million against the cap by releasing him. I know the chargers don't have a bunch of, you know, cap issues. They could afford to resign him. Do you think he'll be back on the chargers in 2021 and beyond?
1: Yeah. So h- Mike is tough because he has, he just makes these huge plays and he comes up clutch. And so he has value in those areas, but he just never has produced the level that you'd expect. He's an injury-prone player. He's always dealing with something. Last year was the knee. This year he, you know, separated his, or sprained his AC joint in um, in training camp. It just always seems like he's got these nagging things that are limiting him, and he's just never been able to put together that full season over a thousand yards with you know six plus touchdowns. Yeah. The things that you're looking for from a guy that's going to get paid fifteen million dollars. Now I don't. I, what I do know is they love him internally. You know, the Chargers. I mean, the previous coaching staff loved him. and I know the front office loves him. He's got a great work ethic. He's a good locker room guy. Um, and, 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 and obviously the skill set is off the charts. You know, you're not going to find another guy that can, um, you know, win 50-50 balls as consistently as Mike Williams does. So I think he still has value. But the question is, is it worth $15 million? You know, your only option is rescinding the 50-year option, right? That's what it would come down to. And that just never happens. And it's a really bad look for an organization to give a guy that they respect a fifth year option and then pull the plug on it. If you're not going to, if you don't want the guy on your team or you want to send a message, you don't, you don't exercise the fifth year option. Like what the Broncos did with Garrett Bowles, right? They didn't exercise the fifth year option. He improves significantly has an all pro level season and then they pay him the contract. Right. But it's sort of unheard of for a team to give a fifth year option or rescind it. So I don't see that happening. What they could do is negotiate a long-term extension. And that would lower the the cap hit. But like you said, they're not really in cap hell. Like a lot of other teams are, they have the lowest amount of dead money in the league right now. I, I, you know, over the, over the caps projections, have them at about, you know, $15 million in spending money, which factors in what they have to pay their rookies, all nine picks that they have in the draft. So it's not a situation where they have to create space. Um, And typically the way they function is if they have a guy under contract, they keep him under contract and they make the decision when they get to that bridge, you know, they don't, they don't really do a lot of preemptive stuff. You know, it's like, okay, he's under contract. We got him. We can fit him in the cap. Let's make that decision on him next year because, you know, you sign him to a long-term extension. Let's say he has a really bad year next year or suffers another injury. And then it's like, is this a guy we really want to build around? Or can we get more value by drafting a receiver, you know, in, in, in the draft. Right. So, you know, I think that's a decision they'll make down the road. They don't need to, to create the space. So I'm expecting him to play 2021 on his fifth-year option, despite the fact that it's a, a high cap at $15.68 million.
0: And he is always playing through some sort of injury with that said, you know, he's played 15, 15, 16 games over the past three years, but you know, I feel like we, we, again, we overuse the term injury prone. Sometimes you mentioned like how randomly Justin Jackson got hurt, you know, just trying to block, right. but Mike Williams, man, just catch your fall for once in your life. I feel like every time this guy goes yeah. up in double coverage, he comes down with these spectacular catches, but he falls like a freaking bag of soap, like to the ground, man. It's just yeah, oh, yeah. It's so painful every single time, but hopefully, He can't put that together. Go get that money, whether it's from the Chargers or someone else. Fantastic stuff, man. Do you have a bold offseason prediction to leave us?
1: All right, Austin Eckler will finish in the top five in the league in yards from scrimmage.
0: Ooh,
1: so you know. So, and here's—I'll give you a quick reasoning on it. I mentioned earlier that that Joe Lombardi in his intro press conference compared Austin Eckler to Alvin Kamara. That to me is. Flashing lights. Listen, like <laughs> they are going to get this guy, the football in space. They're going to line them up all over the formation. Now it's something that they did with Austin Eckler uh, under the previous coaching regime. Um, but you know, when he was playing a majority of the snaps, you know, he had close to 1600 yards from scrimmage, almost a thousand yards receiving almost a hundred catches. Right. And then he finished ninth in the league, but that was with Melvin Gordon in the mix yeah. after he came back from his holdout. Right. So Austin, was on pace to be sort of top five. Melvin came back and then they were kind of trying to figure out how to use both of them. Austin's role diminished a little bit last year. He had the significant hamstring injury um, early on in the season, missed six games, but really wasn't himself for, yeah. you know, probably nine of those games, still got close to a thousand yards in, from scrimmage. So like put together a full season, avoid injury, new, new scheme, new system with Joel and Barty taking some of these saints concepts that they use with Alvin Kamara, applying them to Austin Eckler. Like that's easy to get excited about. And he absolutely has the capability, to be up in that, in that echelon because he wasn't the top 10 in 2019 and with more touches and without Melvin Gordon on the roster staying healthy, I think he could be up over 1700, which would put him, you know, in contention for top five in the league in yards from scrimmage.
0: I love it, man. Hopefully, they you know we always hear every offseason season that we teams start talking about running back is gonna get more reps and the slot or out wide as a true wide receiver. And usually it doesn't come to fruition. That should be the case with Austin Eckler yeah. and having his new new play caller being the guy that has enabled Alvin Kamara. You would hope that that will be such a smooth transition. Literally since 2017, every running back has lined up in the slot or out wide. Nobody has averaged more yards per outrun run than Austin Eckler. Dude's a nightmare in space. Looking forward to seeing the ways they're gonna use him. That's gonna do it. Daniel, thank you for the time, man. Everyone go follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. You're, uh, you know, right out at The Athletic, you got some fun stuff planned for this offseason? Absolutely. Yeah, just diving into all the stuff. I got a an offseason
1: handbook up right now, which goes through every single question you could possibly have about the offseason, salary cap, draft picks, comp picks, draft needs, roster needs, casualties, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, that, so start there and we'll get some Free agent stuff up, free agents, they can target, working on a feature on Brandon's Daily. So nice. tons of content over at, at the Athletic Chargers page. You go check it out.
0: Awesome stuff. Everyone make sure you go check that out. Again, Daniel's on Twitter, at Daniel R. Popper. That's good, dude. everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Daniel. I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.